Good morning, y'all. Long time no here, but um, it's Halloween. Happy Halloween. So what I'm going to do today is we're going to do some blast from the past, Halloween related. And then tonight at eight o'clock, there'll be an all new episode. So stick around and check back throughout the day for all the new episodes. We're going to start it off with some spooky tales from the South. Hey y'all, and welcome to episode 43 of Mystery, Murder, and Magic. Alex is finally back with us today. Took well, like a few months, but you know. <laughs> well, actually, you were with us on Saturday night when we went live for the Haunted Trail. Um, that yeah. We went to. Yeah. And your brother, Nicholas, made his podcast debut that it night. Was, yes, he did, indeed. That was a lot of fun. It was, yeah. Man, there was it. it was like, yeah, I did too. It was a lot of fun, and those people they they definitely put a lot of effort into it. Um, I couldn't get over like how many people were there to drive through. Yeah, there was I mean, a lot. There was a lot of people here. It was like thousands. It, I, I don't know. I'm probably exaggerating, but it looked like thousands of cars waiting <laughs> to go in um, that night. It was. And like insane and see the whole time we were in line with a car I, w- I was thinking like okay so maybe they're just letting a few go in at a time you know I was thinking that's what the holdup was but no it was because they had two lines of traffic that they were trying to get through yeah so I mean it took some doing to get all that done Um, but I don't know um, I did have fun. It was a bit of a drive, but I think it was worth it. I think it was too. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite scene? Because they had it set up like scenes. I think. What was the one that had the snake? The girl with it. Oh yeah, that lady that had the snake. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what it was actually called, but it was that was really cool. That was one of my favorites too. And I also like the um, the deliverance scene because um, the hillbilly dudes were like, "What are you staring at?" And <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that part. was funny, but you know what? I was disappointed they didn't have a Michael Myers. True, actually, I don't know why there wasn't any. I know there was Scream, there was um, Jason, there was Pennywise, and a bunch of other clowns. Um, there was all kind of scary creatures there, but no Michael Myers. All right. But speaking of Michael Myers, so when we were eating dinner, I watched <laughs> the new Halloween Kills movie. Oh, and it's no. on Peacock. So if you have a Peacock premium prescription, prescription, subscription, you can watch it for basically free instead of having to go to movies to see it. Yeah. You don't go to the bathroom when you want to without bothering anybody. And <laughs> honestly, it's a good movie. It's not even two hours long. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. And I was scared because, like, you know, sometimes you think as they keep going on with, like, a, a movie franchise, you think, God, how much more can they do with it? But it was off the chain good. Like, it was better than I expected. I mean, I didn't go in with it. Have, with like having like bad expectations of it but i just thought maybe it wasn't gonna be what i thought it was gonna be yeah 
but um it was really good jamie lee curtis she really she really played her part well she always has though um so that was that was pretty awesome so but anyway y'all let's get on with this um you know it's october so it's the spooky season so <laughs> i thought yeah it's spooky so I thought, you know, now would be a good time to talk about some ghost stories um, in our area. <laughs> Why not, right? Um, yep. I know that we've talked about some before, but there's still so many more. And that's what we're going to be talking about a few of those today. All right, y'all, I know in the past we've talked about, like, the happy dog, um, Julia Legree of Edisto Island, like, haunted hotels, and even, like, some cryptids of the South. But today we're going to add a few more ghost stories to our list. You ready, Alex? Let's hear it. Okay. So, you know, Charleston, South Carolina has a lot of history. So, you know it's a hotbed for, like, paranormal activity. Now, we've talked about haunted hotels there, and there's a bunch of haunted hotels there. And, you know, um, there's just, like, a lot of hauntings. I mean, they have, like, tours of the, the haunted places. Like, there's, like, several companies in Charleston that do probably tours daily or nightly. Um, I know there's one called um, Ghost City Tours, I believe. Um, they put on a pretty good show but or a pretty good tour. But um, anyway, one that we haven't talked about on the show is the ghost of Zoe on Pugin's porch. Now, you're probably asking, Alice, what is a Pugin? <laughs> well, uh, we do have some different words here in the South. But Pugin's porch is a restaurant on Queen Street in Charleston. And I haven't eaten there, but everyone that I know that has eaten there said they have the best food in Charleston. Now, the name Pugin itself, though, it comes from a beloved dog named Pugin. And the ghost of Pugin has made his presence known quite a few times. But he's not as famous as another ghost who takes up residence there. Mm -hmm. And that, that would be Zoe. <laughs> now, why would somebody haunt a restaurant? Well, I'm going to tell you why. But anyway, first, let's talk about this house. Um, it's a Victorian-style home that was built in 1888 a long time but, ago. yeah so it's a really old house i mean it's over 100 years old um but in 1976 it was converted into a restaurant and when the people that own the restaurant when they bought it they found that the people who that like the for, former owners they had left behind this sweet little white dog named pagan now i don't even know why you would just move and just leave your fur baby i couldn't do it but <laughs> so I, but they had left this little dog there at that house and so the new owners they, they decided to keep him and because they fell head over heels in love with that little dog they decided to name their restaurant after him 
No, I think that's really cool. I mean, he must have been a special little doggy to get a whole restaurant named after him, you know? Um, but Pugin became the door greeter at the restaurant, and he did that until, sadly, he passed away in 1979. And now it's rumored that if you go to the restaurant, you might just catch a glimpse of old Pugin himself. Oh, wow. Now, yeah, I know, a ghost dog, like the happy dog here in our area. Um, <laughs> but I don't think he's probably the menace that the, the uh, happy dog is. But now I mentioned that he's not the star of the show, but rather Zoe is. So back in the day, before it was a restaurant and before Pugin's owners lived there, the, the his first owners, that is, um, the house was inhabited by two sisters named Zoe and Elizabeth. Now, Zoe was a school teacher, and she had never gotten married, so most of the people in the neighborhood called her an old spinster. And honestly, I don't think that it bothered her either, or really either of the sisters, because they were, you know, were more happy with being in each other's company than, like, going out and, you know, socializing or whatever. But in 1945, Elizabeth passed away, and that left Zoe all alone. Well, she was so lost without her sister that one night she wandered out into the street and she began yelling her sister's name. Well, obviously that alarmed the neighbors and one of them was worried about Zoe's mental health. So she, or this neighbor, I don't know if it was a man or woman, but they took her to a local hospital. Well, Zoe lived the rest of her life in that hospital. And when she passed away, she was buried at the um, St. Lawrence Cemetery there in Charleston, which I guess is kind of near, like, where she lived. But now her body might be in that cemetery, but Alex, her spirit is still looking for her sister. She wondering where she's at. Yeah, and she's pissed over the re uh, renovations that they did to her former house to make it a restaurant. Now, like I said, in life, Zoe wasn't much of a people person, but in death, she's become quite the extrovert. Um, People who are there at the restaurant have seen her spirit wandering the house. Visitors of the restaurant have seen her too. And some didn't even realize she was a ghost. I guess she was so visible that they thought she was a real live person. And across the street from that restaurant is a hotel. And guests at that hotel have seen Zoe in a window in the upstairs of the restaurant. And a lot of times it's after the restaurant, that restaurant has closed for the night. And so some of those people who have seen her, they think that she's like trapped in there, somehow got locked in the building and they've called the police to come, come get, you know, help her get out. Yeah. Um, now I can't even imagine what those police tell them. Do they say, Oh, that's just Zoe's ghost or, <laughs> or what? You know? <laughs> oh, never mind her. That's just old Zoe. But um, the owner of the restaurant has said that one night when she was closing up, she got a good scare when one of the wooden stools was knocked over and there was nobody standing near it, or at least nobody alive was standing near it. Now, right after that, a door started opening and closing repeatedly, like slam, and, they, and she said it was a, a slam, like an angry slam over and over. Um, a chef at the restaurant and made himself a cup of coffee early one morning and he left it sitting on a stool because he had to go answer a knock on the back door from a delivery person well when he came back the entire cup of coffee not just the coffee inside the cup but the whole thing was completely gone oh wow 
Yeah. So the the chef thought he was going crazy. And then he wondered if he'd even made himself the cook that cup of coffee after, you know, at all. <laughs> so he made himself another cup. Well, when he returned to that stool, lo and behold, that first cup of coffee, it was sitting right there where he right left it there. earlier. Yeah. And get this, Alex. What? When he looked at the cup, there was lipstick on it. <sighs> now, I don't know if he was there alone. It kind of sounded like, you know, what I, the way I read it, it made it feel like he was there alone. And so they probably assumed that was Zoe's lipstick. But another time, a staff member was cleaning up the restaurant after they had closed for the night. And she started having the feeling that somebody or something was behind her. You know how you get that feeling like somebody's watching me or somebody's behind me or something. Yeah. Well, when she turned to look, she saw absolutely nothing there. But she was still unnerved and she still had that feeling. But she went back to her cleaning. Well, when she looked up into a mirror that was hanging there in the restaurant, she was startled because it wasn't only her reflection that she saw. There was also the reflection of an elderly lady wearing wireframe glasses. And it was none other than Zoe herself. Oh, wow. But now the staff member spoke to her and when she did, she disappeared. And another story about her is um, a pastry chef at the restaurant was there. She was there by herself just getting started on the day's bacon and while she's working, she turned on the radio and had it turned up pretty loud. Well, one of her favorite songs came on and she started singing along to it. And then all of a sudden she heard another voice singing along with her. Well, she thought maybe one of her coworkers had came in and she knew she had turned the alarm system on. So she would either have to let them in or she would have heard somebody coming in, like doing the, the code or whatever. But she turned around, there was nobody there. Oh, wow. I know, right? But the voice, it, it continued singing along word for word to the music. That's funny. Um, but I think that's kind of cool and scary at the same time. Yeah. Now, I do have to say, I was curious about their food. And I went on their website, and I downloaded a PDF of their menu. And Alex, we have got mm-hmm. to try that sometime. <laughs> They've got um, something called, an, it's an appetizer, and it's called pimento cheese fritters, uh-huh. and it's served, it's served with bacon jam. I don't know what that is, or, and I really don't even know what the pimento cheese fritters is, but I think we need to go find out. Yeah. Um, and, I, like, I was, as I was looking through that menu, I was getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier, <laughs> and I was like, maybe we need to go to Charleston today you know yeah <laughs> let's go see if we can see old zoe and get some good food <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean everything that i saw on their menu it looked or it sounded delicious like and i mean i thought maybe since it was in downtown charleston it would probably be pretty expensive but it wasn't that bad um but anyway moving right along um now this isn't necessarily a ghost story but it's spooky so i couldn't leave it out now south carolina is not the only carolina state with restless spirits our neighbors to the north they have their own stories to tell and in burke county north carolina stands brown mountain 
Now, I'm not good with geography, Alex, so I don't know if <laughs> we were close to that mountain or not um, mm -hmm. the other week when we went in the mountains. But if you go there in the fall, you might just see an eerie sight. When circumstances are just right, these mystifying glimmering orbs have been seen to rise and hover just above the mountain. And then as quickly as they appear, they're gone. Many, many people have witnessed this strange phenomena and have even captured photos, but no one knows what causes the lights. Now, they're known, or they, they call them the brown mountain lights, and people have been seeing these and talking about them for centuries. And since they've been around so long, well, of course, there's like local legends that's developed about the origins of where these lights come from. Now, the Cherokee legend says that these orbs are the souls of Cherokee women who are searching for their men who died in a battle that took place between the Cherokee and the Catawba, Catawba tribes. I, I have never had an easy time saying that. But anyway, that battle took place on Brown Mountain. And one of the most popular legends, um, though, it was written into a song about um, what happened, you know, what causes those lights. And it was sang by, this was like back in the 50s, 1950s, but it was sang by a country music duo known as Lulu Bell and Scotty. Now, I've never heard of them, but um, the version of the, this, the version that's in this song says that there was this man who was traveling with, um, it said it was his slave, um, but it, they became lost, or he, the man himself became lost while he was hunting on the mountain. Well, that man was never found, but those lights are coming from the slave's lantern who returns every night to hunt for the man. Well, several scientific explanations, of course, have been given because, you know, <laughs> science can't leave the paranormal alone. But honestly, none of their theories like make any sense because they've said stuff like swamp gas. Well, there's not a swamp on Brown Mountain. And then they say it could be headlights from automobiles that's like passing through the valley below the mountain. Well, you know what? They, they've been seeing these lights since before there was ever even automobiles. So that don't check out or make any sense either. Yeah. You know? Well, people in that area say that if you want to see them, your best chance is when the night is dry and it's clear. And usually October and November is the best months to go as long as all the leaves have fallen from the trees. So, I don't know. Um, I wish I had known about that when we were in the mountains. So, maybe we could have went and watched that night instead of us, like, goofing off in the hotel room making <laughs> TikTok videos. <laughs> it's James. It's James. <laughs> now, the capital of North Carolina also has um, some ghost stories. And in Raleigh, um, there's one story that says there was a, um, this freed African-American man who owned a mill not too far from Raleigh and people came from all over to have him grind their corn. Um, and he had a good business going, you know, he was, uh, making a lot of money off of it. And, um, but one day this beautiful lady come into town. And he fell in love with her. Well, soon the two got married. 
Well, all of a sudden, people stopped bringing their corn to the um, to be ground by him, and it was all because a rumor was going around town. Because his his bride, his young bride, she kind of exhibited some odd behavior, and pretty soon people were saying that he had married a witch. Well, no one wanted to come close to his mill because of that, and it looked like his business might dry dry up. Well. This man was a very kind man, and often he would give um, shelter to slaves that had ran away. And one night, there was this one particular runaway that he was given a place to stay. Well, he had heard through the grapevine that this man's wife was a witch, but he insisted he wasn't afraid of her, and he even had a butcher knife with him for protection, so he said he'd be fine. Well, when he arrived at the miller's house, Miller showed him into the mill, and then he showed him where he could hide if somebody came looking for him. Well, that night when he was about to go to sleep, the biggest black cat the young man had ever seen appeared in front of him. The cat was bigger, yeah, the cat was bigger than a dog, and he had these red, or it had these red glowing eyes. Well, when the cat got closer to him, that guy, he realized he was in a lot of trouble because the cat raised his paw to, like, strike him. I mean, a cat, like, it's not like Stevie smacking at you. That's like a panther smacking at you, you know? Well, he had that butcher knife with him, and so he cut the cat's paw off. Well, the next morning, well, let me go back. That cat, he kind of screeched, you know? I mean, I'm sure that hurt his little leg. But, um, and then he ran away. So he couldn't sleep that night, and the next morning... When the miller came in there to check on him, he told the miller what had happened. Well, then the miller goes back in his house, and when he went to wake up his wife, she's like, no, I'm not getting out of bed. I don't feel good. Um, And she just kept insisting that she wasn't getting out of bed that day. Um, And she had, like, all the blankets wrapped around her, like, real tight. Well, I guess that guy was just like, what the heck is going on? So he pulled the covers off of her and he was like startled by what he saw because the bed was soaked with blood and where her right hand had been was a bloody stump. Yeah. So at that moment, the miller knew that the town people had been right. He was married to a witch. Well, quickly he tied her up and he called his neighbors to come. Well, when the neighbors got there, they talked it over. And they decided there was only one thing they could do. So they killed her. And they burned her body so she couldn't come back and haunt them. Well, after that, his business picked back up. He became rich. And he found a new wife. And basically, they lived happily ever after. Wow. Now, I'm not so sure that I put much belief into that story. It's a little preposterous or maybe a lot preposterous. Um, But... I thought it was pretty interesting, though. Yeah. I mean, she shapeshifted from herself to basically a panther. Um, but now, this is our last story for today. Listen, um, so this one comes to us from Elizabeth City, North Carolina, and that's out on the coast of North Carolina. Now, there was this young woman. Her name was Nell Cropsey. And on November the 20th, 1901, she disappeared. 
just over a month later, her body was found floating in the Pasquatank. Okay, that's a hard word. Pasquatank River. <laughs> they did convict a man of her murder, but there was still a lot of unknowns about her death. Well, some say that her unsettled spirit still haunts her house in Elizabeth City. So the background on this is that her family had moved to Elizabeth City from Brooklyn in 1898. Well, Nell was this very beautiful girl, and her family was very well off. They had a lot of money. Well, being the new girl in town, she was attracting all kind of boats. Like, they were just lining up wanting to take this beautiful new lady in town out. Well, soon she started dating this man named Jim Wilcox. And she started dating him. They were getting along. And she had been um, dating him for like three years when they went missing. Now, I should add that it was known that Nell was a little put off by Jim's hesitance to like propose marriage to her. So she started flirting with other men in town, just trying to make Jim jealous and maybe push him into wanting to propose. I guess, you know, she saw it that her flirting with other men was going to make him realize that he needed to put a ring on her finger soon or he might lose her. But that didn't happen and it was pretty much the opposite that happened. The night that she disappeared, she and Jim had this big argument and it was, I, it didn't say, but it was probably over her flirting with other men. Now, it wasn't just a little spat either. This was like this really loud fight that everybody in the house could hear, like her whole family heard it. A few of our family members said that they thought that by the end of the night, the two had patched things up, but they couldn't be sure because they couldn't hear everything word for word. They just heard them, you know. Um, and she walked Jim out around 11 o'clock that night, and that was the last time they saw her. What? Yeah, well, not long after Jim left, Nell has a sister named Ollie. <coughs> Sorry about that. And um, Ollie said she heard something bang against the back of the house, so she went to investigate. So she, when she went to investigate, she's braver than me, okay? I've just been like, oh, it is what it is, okay? <laughs> 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 we'll pretend we didn't hear that. But um, she saw that it the screen door had broken, but she didn't see anyone or anything who could have broken it. When she went back upstairs, she went to see if Nell was in bed, but when she opened the door, Nell was nowhere to be seen. Well, that made her feel a little uneasy, but she went back to her own room and she tried to go to sleep. Well, not long after that, a neighbor woke them all up because someone was trying to steal the Cropsey's pig. Well, when they rushed out, they realized Nell was nowhere to be seen. That, that's when they realized she was missing. Well, they did see, though, that they're, um, the fiancé, no, not the fiancé, but the boyfriend, his umbrella was standing by the front door, and it hadn't been standing there earlier that night. Well, morning came, and Nell was still missing, so, you know, they started searching for her. The police was called, all that stuff. But despite the entire town being searched, Nell was nowhere to be found. Well, naturally, all the suspicion was aimed at Jim. But Jim insisted that he had no idea what had happened to Nell. And the police didn't like that answer. So they took him in on kidnapping charge and they held him there at the local jail. 
Well, even though Jim was in jail, Neil's poor family had no answers. I mean, they wanted to know where their daughter was at. And they would have to go without any answers, even through the Christmas holidays. Well, on the night of December 27th, Miss Cropsey saw something floating in the Pasquatank River. Um, and I believe from what it said, that river flowed behind their house. But anyway, she had some men go out in boats. And sadly, what she had spotted floating in the river was her own daughter. What? Yeah. But get this, a few days before her body was found, they received this letter in the mail that claimed to know the circumstances of her disappearance. Now, the letter had been postmarked from New York. Now, remember, they're in North Carolina. Yeah. Anyway, it came from New York, and it said that on the night that, um, that she disappeared, Nell had walked up on a drifter trying to steal the family's pig. Well, remember, that neighbor had said that somebody was trying to steal their pig. So, I mean, there you go. But anyway... When the man discovered that Nell had seen him, he struck her over the head with this big heavy stick, and then he drug her body to the river, put her in a boat. They rode, he rode her body out into the river, and then he dumped her body. And in that letter, he had even included a map with an X mark in the spot where they could find her body. Well, you know, they found it in the river, but it wasn't very far from where he had dumped it. But to this day, it's still unknown who sent that letter. And if it's, that's like truly what happened, you know. Um, now, when the people found out that Nell's body had been found, and they didn't know anything about this letter they had gotten, but they went into like full riot mode and they formed a mob. They went to the jail and they demanded that Jim be released, <laughs> sorry, be released to them. And Nell's family begged them to just, you know, let justice take place in the courts. But then things got so bad with them, like, with the mob and everything, the governor had to call in this Naval Reserve Group to get things under control. Now, Jim Wilcox went on trial twice for Neil's um, demise, but the first time he was found guilty, that conviction was overturned by the North Carolina Supreme Court. In the second trial, he was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 30 years in prison. But in 1920, the governor granted Jim a pardon. Now, why, I don't know, unless he just believed that Jim didn't commit, you know, the crime or whatever. Yeah. But for the past century, anybody who's lived in the, uh, the Cropsey home since then have reported strange things happening there. There's like the typical stuff like lights going off and on, doors closing and opening, a cold breeze or whatever, you know. But mm -hmm. some have like recorded this washed out looking figure of a young woman moving around the house. Um, some people walking by the house on the outside have looked up and seen a ghostly figure looking from an upstairs window. And a few residents of the home have even said that Neil has appeared in their bedroom at night that would be kind of creepy to wake up and that would be uh... yeah she's standing there but if you want to check it out for yourself the house is located in 1901 riverside drive in elizabeth city um so what do you think about that 
Well. <laughs> well. I don't know. <laughs> You're that's so just. Crazy. It's it's just crazy. I know that's what people ready to say. If everything Alice is like it's so crazy. It is. Yeah, I mean all of those stories are very believable except for the one where the man said she shape shifted into this big old black cat, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean I wasn't there. <laughs> but anyway, y'all, that's that's really all that we got for today. Um, don't despair yeah. uh, more, we, we got more ghost stories yeah. <laughs> that's all for today though but yes. don't forget to come back on Wednesday for the midweek meeting and y'all have you got anything else to say Alice uh, <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm, gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take that as a no well y'all have a good week